1: Michael Bitzer is a political scientist in North Carolina. Most mornings, he wakes up early, pours himself a strong cup of tea, and examines the state's vote-by-mail numbers. In fact, that's what he was doing last Friday, when he realized the president had tested positive for the coronavirus.
0: And I thought, this is going to be an interesting Friday. And lo and behold, it turned out to be that in spades.
1: Michael's Friday got interesting, not because of what was happening in Washington, per se, but because of the way the White House COVID cluster ended up reverberating in his state. All day long, he watched as more of the Republican power structure began testing positive. Senator Mike Lee from Utah, former presidential aide Kellyanne Conway.
0: And it finally came to light I believe it was around 7 o'clock Friday night after surviving most of the day that Senator Tillis tested positive as well. Uh, Your senator. Yes, uh, the North Carolina U.S. senator who's up for re-election. My phone started to blow up and reporters started calling. And I did my last interview at a little bit before 10 o'clock that night. And decided, I'm shutting off my phone and going to bed because I've got to get a good night's sleep. Little did I realize I would wake up the next morning to the news that Senator Tillis's challenger, Democratic uh, candidate Cal Cunningham, acknowledged a texting affair.
1: Let me just go over that timeline one more time. Within a few hours, Senator Tom Tillis tested positive for the coronavirus. And then Tillis' Democratic challenger, Cal Cunningham, he admitted to exchanging romantic texts with a woman who was not his wife.
0: You know, uh, uh, I've had reporters ask me what an interesting state North Carolina politics can be. And my constant refrain is you have no idea.
1: Part of the reason politics in North Carolina feels so high stakes to Michael is both parties have come to see this state as essential to political dominance. For Republicans, their path to electoral college victory runs right through North Carolina. And for Democrats, winning Tom Tillis' seat, that could flip the Senate. And elections in this state, they seem to be getting tighter
0: and tighter. Typically, the margins of victory— is traditionally now less than 5%. If somebody wins by more than five percentage points, that is a landslide in this state. Senator Tillis, six years ago, won by one and a half percentage points. North Carolina has become, I think, a kind of microcosm of a lot of national dynamics.
1: Today on the show, like the president, Senator Tillis is fighting for his political life and fighting COVID. But they share something else, too. If Tillis loses this race, it could tip the balance of power in Washington. The question now is whether a series of October surprises are going to scramble this election. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800 333 kia for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Michael Bitzer has lived in North Carolina for nearly two decades. And in that time, he's watched the state change, at least in terms of voter behavior.
0: In 2004, George W. Bush won the state by 13 percentage points, not a so battleground. Handily. Handily. In the same election, the Democratic incumbent governor, Mike Easley, won his re-election with 13 percentage points as well. So hmm. we had this phenomenon of North Carolinians very willing to split their tickets. I'm going to vote Republican presidential, Democratic for governor, bounce around the ticket. And then 2008 came along. And if somebody had asked me in January of 2008, could Barack Obama win North Carolina? I would say, well, you know, four years ago, it it was a 13 percentage point Republican state. I, I don't see that happening. He won it with less than half a percentage point. Hmm. And that race and that election with the ground game, the use of early in-person voting, just fundamentally reshaped the state. The subsequent election in 2010 with the Tea Party insurgency fundamentally reshaped the state as well. And where we are after those two elections is the idea that 90 to 92% of the electorate is sorted into their respective partisan camps. You are going to vote straight down the ballot for the party that you identify with. And so few voters now are willing to be that split ticket voter that the dynamic of this state has just fundamentally been reshaped.
1: When did you know that 2020 would be a year when this Senate race in North Carolina would really be front and center?
0: I think it goes back to 2019 and an op-ed that Tom Tillis had uh, printed in, I believe it was the Washington Post, kind of criticizing the president and his management style. It's no secret that I disagree with the method that the president is using to provide funding down to the southern border. But make- and very quickly after that he changed his tune. Hmm. And he moved aggressively into being a full-throated defender of the president. Stop the theater. The president is not guilty of a crime. The president is not guilty of obstruction of justice. It went through one of the most rigorous investigations in modern history. And now what we are seeing is a concern by the Tillis campaign of, are we bear hugging the president too much or have we not established our own credentials with the conservative base of the Republican party? Yes, he was the leader of the state house. He was speaker of the state house when the Republicans took over after the 2010 election. But he oftentimes would come across as a kind of suburban-style Republican, fairly more moderate, not the hardcore conservatism of rural Republicans in this state. He's never been able quite to solidify that base. You know, he he will attest he is one of the president's key loyal uh, supporters in the U.S. Senate. I'm just not sure that that message has necessarily been convincing enough to where the base of the party is fully behind him.
1: A good example of Senator Tillis sort of straddling this line I feel like, is his position on masks and who should be wearing them during COVID-19. Because he's been a pretty firm mask supporter, but then he keeps popping up at Republican events not wearing one, like he was at the RNC not wearing one. And he apologized for that. Yes, But then there are all these photos of him at the Amy Coney Barrett event at the Rose Garden, not with a mask. One photo, really startling to me, was him sitting right next to a child without a mask, the same way he apologized for just a few weeks earlier?
0: It it may be a mixed management issue, as one Republican strategist has said in this state. That what does that mean? He that that he needs to manage how he is presenting himself. Is he going to wear a mask or isn't he? Does he believe the health? professionals that masks are a core component to stopping COVID? Or does he fit into the mantra of particularly conservative Republicans in this state that masks are just a great conspiracy? Uh, You know, he's, he's trying to have it both ways, and it's not proving very successful at this point.
1: So when he tested positive for COVID on Friday, how do you think that impacted how voters in the state see him?
0: I'm not sure that there's going to be a whole lot of movement when we get the polling out on this probably later this week, just because people's minds are so made up. Uh, You know, I'm seeing numbers of 90 to maybe 92 percent of North Carolinians say, My mind is made up, and nothing over the next 30 days less than is going to change my mind as to who I'm voting for.
1: Do we know how the senator is
0: doing health-wise? He posted on Facebook that that he was feeling fine, uh, that he was still in quarantine. He has not had to go to the hospital or receive any uh, medication, unlike, say, the president.
1: So Tom Tillis is facing Democratic opponent, opponent Cal Cunningham. Can you introduce us to who he is a little bit?
0: Sure. Cal Cunningham is moderate. He's a centrist, uh, and he he presents himself not as a member of the AOC or Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren wing of the party, but a kind of Roy Cooper kind of moderate Democrat that plays well in this state. Uh, Democrat from a small town, Lexington, North Carolina, famous for its barbecue, which the entire state is proud of and very divided over, not just in terms of its <laughs> politics, but barbecue. And that's probably a whole nother podcast.
1: My understanding is that the biggest controversy that Cal Cunningham got into before the sexting <laughs> was over what he called barbecue and whether it was barbecue or not.
0: There, there are fighting words in the South, and if you use barbecue as a verb rather than <laughs> as a noun, uh, there, there will be bitterness on all sides. But we'll, we'll yes, that, that was the infamous uh, barbecue gate, I guess you could call it, at the beginning of last week, and then lo and behold, Friday we get the text gate uh, scandal. Text
1: gate refers to the publication of amorous text messages between Cal Cunningham and a woman who is not his wife. The texts were released by a right-wing website and then confirmed by local reporters and the Cunningham campaign. The development had the whiff of a scandal, but also significance. Cunningham has made his personal values central to his candidacy. My story starts in the small town of Lexington, in scouting and in church and a youth group. It's where my parents taught me about hard work, about fairness and equality, and about including... A
0: lot of his campaign commercials speak to his hometown upbringing, his service in the military, uh, his willingness as a state senator to really fight for what he would call the, the little man in, in American politics. Uh, but, you know... This kind of dynamic, when it came to his campaign acknowledging, shall we say, PG-rated uh, text, uh, has <laughs> has kind of infiltrated that character uh, uh, portrayal that he has presented. Yes, he owned up to it. Yes, he admitted it. And yes, he apologized for it. I think the lingering question in a lot of North Carolina voters' minds at this point is— Are there, shall we say, R-rated texts that we should be, you know, anticipating? We don't know, and there may not be.
1: I'm glad you said that these were PG-rated texts, because (laughs) reading them, they seemed sweet, a little sad, because both the candidate and the woman he was texting are married. Mm -hmm. They mostly talked about how much they wanted to kiss each other. So... Do you think that a sex scandal like this matters in this day and age?
0: You know, um, again, to to kind of go back to the intricacies and extravaganza of North Carolina politics, unfortunately, we have experience with uh, candidates who are philanderers uh, by the name of John Edwards. And, you know, that that kind of doomed his candidacy. I think, though, the difference now is indeed the acceptance of bad behavior on the part of candidates, partly because partisanship is one hell of a drug. You know, hmm. at, at this point, I, I am just of an opinion voters take with a grain of salt maybe the issues and controversies and perhaps failings of their candidates but when push comes to shove it's all about the d's and the r's and that's that's what drives voter behavior
1: it's funny looking back on john edwards and sort of thinking about how this situation is is different from that one and similar where i think part of what made john edwards' behavior so notable was how much he denied what was going on yeah. for so long yeah. to the point that he then had a child with this woman yeah. and didn't acknowledge it for a long time. And so to me, part of what I see in what's happening with Cunningham is just a willingness to just say, "Yep, happened, move on." Like yeah. this this took place. Mistakes happen. Let's win this race.
0: And 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 I think that that in the post 2015-2016 dynamic is considered the new norm. You mean post-Trump? Post-Trump, exactly. And, and they have a benefit, I think, of just simply the dynamics of the news cycle nowadays. It feels like every day we are getting an avalanche of the new controversy of today. And tomorrow we'll get another avalanche. And the day after that, we'll get another avalanche. And the avalanches just cover up the previous avalanches. And so it's, you know, the the attention span and the ability of the average American voter probably to process just last week's news. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at some point people just either tune in, turn off, log off, or just think, Okay, I'll just wait for the next news cycle, because that'll happen probably in an hour.
1: That is maybe the best outcome for these (laughs) candidates, that they're just another snowflake in the avalanche.
0: Yep, yep. They're just waiting for the next great scandal. And then, you know, they can say, well, that was years ago when it was, you know, two days ago.
1: After a break, I'll be back with Michael Bitzer. The complicating factor here is that North Carolinians are already voting, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yes. What we know right now is that over 350,000 North Carolinians have already decided, I'm done with this election. Here's my absentee by mail ballot. It's been accepted. I've banked my vote and I am done. And How does
1: that compare to previous years?
0: It's it's exponentially above anything that we have seen. We currently right now are close to 1.2 million registered voters requesting an absentee by mail ballot. That's like 20% of your voters. Exactly. And to to give you some context, four years ago, we had a little over 230,000 North Carolinians request an absentee by mail ballot. So we are talking about a six-fold increase at this point in time, and we've still got three weeks before the deadline of requesting the ballot, and then we start in-person early voting on October 15th, and that has been a traditional dominant factor. In fact, in 2016, two-thirds of all the ballots came before election day. And I've heard estimates that we could be looking at 80 percent of all the ballots cast come before November 3rd in this state.
1: Michael Bitzer says that so far this year, voters registered as Democrats have a narrow edge in absentee mail-in ballots. But it's hard to know if that's going to continue over the next few weeks. And one thing that is relatively constant is that a lot of people voting absentee this year just haven't done it before.
0: A lot of these voters are first-time absentee-by-mail voters, and they are getting hung up on some of the requirements, particularly the witness certification process that's holding up some of their ballots. And this is particularly true among African-American voters who historically are in-person voters.
1: So is that something that can be corrected?
0: Yes. In North Carolina, uh, if your ballot is deemed deficient, it is not rejected. It can be cured. And, And it's also important to note that if a voter has a deficient ballot, that does not preclude them from casting a vote in person. And we have seen in the past voters who turned in an absentee by mail ballot that was marked deficient for whatever reason. And then they go and vote early or they vote on election day and their ballot still counts. They have voted. But the issue right now is we have several lawsuits challenging the process by which to accept an absentee by mail ballot. And in fact, the State Board of Elections announced a new policy directive to the 100 counties saying, if you get a deficient ballot, set it aside and wait for the courts to tell us what to do. And in my mind, that's a real disservice to the voters because previously they would be able to track their ballot, know if it was deficient and know what the issue was and typically a new ballot would be sent to that voter to correct the issue. That's not happening right now as far as I know, and that's a real concern for a pretty good number of North Carolinians.
1: One thing that's interesting about this race between Tom Tillis and Cal Cunningham is that, I think you've said this, It's it's been fairly stable yes. up until this point. And Cal Cunningham has been in the lead. Mm -hmm. Do you want to venture any guesses about what happens next?
0: (laughs) I've learned too much from 2020 and North Carolina politics to say I'm not making any predictions this year. Uh, You know, if, if you look at something like the real clear politics average of this particular race, I think in general, Cunningham has between a five to a six point lead. But but his lead is still under fifty percent, so this is going to be a tight election, as is the presidential race at the top of the ticket. I mean, besides Georgia, North Carolina is pretty much the closest battleground state, more so than Florida at this point.
1: It's interesting you're comparing your state to Florida. I don't, I don't know that's a dangerous to thing
0: for me to do at this point. <laughs> I know, but. <laughs>
1: Michael Bitzer, thank you so much for joining us.
0: It's been my pleasure, thank you.
1: Michael Bitzer is a professor of politics and history at Catawba College. If you want to read more, he has been published recently in the book, The New Politics of the Old South. And that's the show. Before we go, I have a quick favor to ask. A bunch of you have called in to let us know how you are planning to make your vote count or help your neighbor or your relative make their vote count We are super grateful. But if you haven't had a chance yet, give us a ring, leave us a message, tell us what you're up to. The way to reach us is 202-888-2588. What Next is produced by Jason DeLeon, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Elena Schwartz. We're led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.